Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Addled by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 56 Thick Twisting Barbs At last the searing spasm subsided and I lay against the roots of the harrowing hedge, trembling and gasping as the memory of my past filled me with a fearful and crippling shame. I had laughed in triumph while millions had died their deaths meaning no more to me than the means by which I could rise to greatness. And among those countless dead, my own wife, Numa. I heard a chuckle and looked back along the avenue of trees. There stood Captain Errol, smiling. Behind him reared the mountainous shape of one of the evil fucks. It's been a pleasure, Mr. Marcus called out the wicked captain. A pleasure and an entertainment. A truly delightful distraction for me and mine. But duty calls and I have no more time to spare. I thought I should finally meet the ever-resourceful Numa. But alas, I see no sign of your pretty wife. It would have been a great event. A wonderful encounter. But alas, my boss unlike thee and me, has little interest in her. He is more concerned at the waywardness of one of my demonic charges. At this, he looked towards the evil fuck, who bent forward and picked up the little demon in one of his vast, damp hands. So with great regrets, I bid you adieu, but remember this, we may have failed in one quest, Mr. Marcus, but in our attempt we made great sport. With that, the captain leapt into the evil fox's other hand. The beast turned with a hop and then vanished, leaving a tornado of leaves and twigs in its wake. I was suddenly robbed of any energy or sense of compulsion. I slipped back until my head and shoulders were beneath the thick, twisting barbs of the harrowing hedge. Above me, the outshoots of the plant twisted into all manner of fantastic shapes. Branches as thick and coiled as anacondas. Limbs contorted into spastic human forms. Twigs opened out like hands or claws. And here and there, sprays of wood as thin and sharp as razor wire. And everywhere, sharp-edged thorns, some the size of butcher's knives, others as slender and precise as scaffolds. I lay in silence, looking up at those fantastic and fearsome shapes. I did not move nor make a sound. I was as motionless and quiet as an eviscerated cadaver.
I had no heart to beat in pain, no bowels to squirm in fear, no stomach to spit up bitter bile. No pain twitched or sparked in me, no itch from twig or soil scratched at me. I had no more animation or feeling than a hollowed-out corpse. Yet the long peace of death eluded me. My eyes still perceived, and my lungs breathed weakly as I lay at the outmost rim of Melkirish's realm, undead and unalive. Through gaps in the dark woody mass, I saw unblinking glints of whiteness, the sky above. Over time, the glints darkened and came black. Night fell, as free of stars as the day was of sun. The black and the white reminded me of something, perhaps feathers or a mask from a ball. But the thought lacked strength or will, fluttered a moment and was gone. Blackness shaded into white, and white back into black. Days passed, perhaps weeks or years, without a sound of life or a wisp of wind. There was only my immobile form, and above that the snatches of black and white caught in the twists and blades of the harrowing hedge. Then I saw something curious. I was staring up at that pale glint of sky when I noticed a blotch of blue. In a sluggish manner, my mind slowly began to move towards a realisation that this meant something. Was the blue a patch of a different sky? Perhaps the sky of paradise? Hope brought a quickness to my thoughts. No, it was not sky. The blueness was of a more physical nature, material, a fabric perhaps. Yet who would wear blue in such a place? Thoughts came faster and stronger now. Though still in Drishika, I was only yards from the realm of all the divinities, including Beatrice. The words sounded in my head with a clear and sweet clarity. Beatrice who wore a fine blue cape. Beatrice, the divinity most loved by my wife. My wife, who was a tribute to Beatrice, chose to wear a blue cape on all significant occasions. My mouth moved as I croaked out the single word. Numa. I knew then it was my wife's robe that was tangled in the thorns twenty or thirty feet above me. I slowly and painfully began to sit up, all the while wondering if Numa had made it to the divine earth, or had she been entangled amongst these cruel thorns, torn and sliced and finally swallowed into the very wood and sap of the harrowing hedge. A damp trickle rolled down my cheek. I was no longer hollow and undead. Now life raced and pounded inside me, Tears spilled from my eyes as I prayed. Hear me, Beatrice, beloved goddess, and most pure of heart. I need your aid once more. My wife, your most devout supplicant, 
has been lost to me and me to her. If I could only save her robe from this foul plant, I may at last have some clue as to her fate. Please, divine Beatrice, give me strength to endure this final journey. I examined the twisting vegetation above me, searching for a route through the tangle of savage barbs. As I looked, it seemed to me that I could perceive a gap that stretched upwards, a long, narrow hollow, as it were. On all sides, this tunnel was bound by spikes, but here and there were little patches free of any barbs, patches that I could use to pull myself up through that dark and ghastly plant. I gave thanks to Beatrice for revealing this path to me and then began my last agonising trek in the realm of Melchorisha. From the first my ascent was marked by pain. As I sat up, my scalp was bitten by the thorns of a branch. I wiped blood from my eyes, only to slice open the skin of my forearm. But I refused to be defeated. Slowly I crawled and climbed into the hollow. I moved with the utmost caution, grabbing a thorn-free branch with one hand whilst looking beyond for the next safe handhold. But whilst I could keep my hands and feet relatively free of wounds, there was nothing I could do to protect the rest of my naked body. As I ascended, pain cut deep into the flesh of my arms and thighs, sliced into the muscles of my back. I had climbed about 20 feet when my hair was caught by thorn twigs and my head yanked back, momentarily exposing my neck to the blades of that foul bush. In an instant I became most conscious of my vulnerability, terrified that the slightest nervy tremor would result in a second mouth being carved into my throat. Slowly I raised my left hand and carefully unsnagged my hair. Fearfully, and ever so carefully, I moved upward again. As I did so, it seemed as if the silence around me was more than an absence of noise. Rather, it was evidence that something profoundly alien and malign was listening and watching my every movement, my every hesitation, doubt and moments of resolution. I was an insect crawling and scratching under the gaze of a far greater being who could at any moment crush me into a pulpy mush. After another hour or so of slow and pain-ripped climbing, I came to a place where the tunnel was blocked by an impenetrable mass of spikes and blades and needles. The feeling of being watched grew more intense. Yet more than fear, I felt frustration and embarrassment at having failed and having been seen to fail this test of my endurance. I hissed a curse at my unseen watcher, then focused my attention on the tunnel around me. Inch by agonising inch, I turned around, examining the encircling walls of thorns until I saw another gap in the foliage. It was the opening of another tunnel. This one was horizontal, and, 
from first inspection, seemed to be free of wooden hooks and blades. Five or six feet from me, the tunnel widened into a hollow that pulsed with light. So used to the greeny gloom was I, that the brightness before me was almost blinding. Yet I could just about discern a shape lying on the floor of the hollow. I gasped aloud, and crouched before the entrance, I shivered with hope and joy. For as my eyes adjusted to the light, I began to make out the shape of a blue robe. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of Marcus Marcus and the Hurting Heart. It's getting weird and it's going to get weirder, so stay tuned. Please share the details of the podcast with your family, your friends and even your ancient enemies. And if you could rate and review, that'd be wonderful as well. You can support the show by donating the price of a coffee to my coffee fund. The details are in the episode notes. And mind, look after yourselves. Listen to all the proper medical advice and be kind to each other. And stay tuned for the next episode of Marcus Marcus and a Hurting Heart.